When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Everything went from bad to worse. Money never changed a thing. Death kept falling, tracking us down. At least I heard your bluebird sing. Now somebody's got to show their hand. Time is an enemy. I know you're long gone. I guess it must be up to me. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining me once again is my pal, Jason MD. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rob. It's ace to be back. Thanks for having me again. It is always fun to have you on the show. And now, of course, we're talking about Up to Me, which is mm. originally appeared on Biograph, and it's an outtake from the the pinnacle in a lot of ways of Bob Dylan uh, mm-hmm. album achievements, Blood on the Tracks. Uh, now, we've covered this song once before many, many years ago. I think I covered it around episode 15, right in the beginning of the show. But that was six years ago. And as I mentioned in the previous show a little while back, we're we're redoing some songs, especially when there's new information to be had. And this is definitely one of those cases, because when I had first heard up to me off of Biograph, as I said, that that was the only version I knew. I had heard rumors that there was another take. But I had never heard that one, so I only had to go by the one that was on Biograph. Not that that's not enough. The one on Biograph is an absolute masterpiece. Mm. But now, thanks to the More Blood, More Tracks set, we know there isn't just one alternate take. There's many alternate takes. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is for a song that got left off the album. This is something he worked long and hard on. And obviously, it at some level was must have been contingent for the record in in some serious way. But ultimately, left it off. But Let's go back to the beginning, Jason, because you really wanted to talk about the song. This is, is is this your single favorite Bob Dylan song or it's, or it's just up there? It's one of your favorites. Yeah, it's up there. The holy, I have a holy pentology, Rob. <laughs> okay. So this sort of the top five for me. And those would be Up to Me, Isis, um, Where Are You Tonight, Mississippi, and then probably Not Dark Yet. Although hmm. that fifth one changes it could be sometimes it's things have changed sometimes it's standing in the doorway uh sometimes it's uh never say goodbye but yeah the up to me is in the top four for sure top three for sure always has been from the first time i heard it and i know you well, you did cover it i listened to that episode recently before you did with i believe the gentleman's name was john glenn yeah, john glenn yeah yeah and i would like to say that uh I enjoyed his appearance and I hope I can just add to what he said because I agreed with most of almost all of what he had to say about it. Uh, so I'm not trying to supersede him or anything. Just no, add no, no, to no. Mr. Yeah. John Glynn's uh, comments, etc. Yes. But yeah, one of my all time favorites for sure. I can't imagine there's anybody out there who would consider themselves any level of a Bob Dylan fan that has heard this song and doesn't like it. I mean, mm-hmm. what what would that even sound like? What would that person be? <laughs> nah, nah. I mean, maybe. No, you thanks. Could, no, thanks. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could say, you know what? I'm glad that Blood on the Tracks is what it is. And he chose to leave this off because that album is so perfect in so many ways that you run the risk of tinkering with something perfect by trying to make it even a little, a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe that, that I could see. But even that this song is just, it, 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 it hit me like a two by with a two by four metaphorically of course uh between the eyes when i first heard it and it's just stayed there i I dig it out every so often 
and I replay it. And then I listen to all the versions again from prep for, for this episode. And it, it hits me just the same. It's just the wordplay in it, the feeling, the depth of emotion that he's revealing in the vocal is so powerful that mm-hmm. it is just, you're like, this thing just, it, it sounds as fresh and as powerful as it did when he recorded it. You know, you're talking 50, almost 50 years ago. We're getting close to the 50th anniversary of Blood on the Tracks. Mm-hmm. And yet, this works so well. So, all right, Jason, I mean, what, what is it about this song that is so, I mean, it's funny, you just list in your, what was, what, what was the phrase you used? Pentology? The holy pentology. Holy pentology. Right. This song is in there, but none of the other Blood on the Track songs are in there. So that, that says a lot. So what is it about this song that is so revered to you? Well, maybe it's because it was left off and it was this little treat that you only discovered later, right? Mm. You know, like you were saying that, you know, Blood on the Tracks is so, so beautiful as it is. Uh, but then later, I didn't get to this song until the late nineties. My brother mm. played it for me in Poland one night and, oh, this is, it's like the essence of blood on the tracks <laughs> boiled down. <laughs> and I didn't know this existed. It's a, you know, I guess the argument, cause I think you, John said, I'd rather have this on the record than, um, what is the one that it was knocked off in favor of? In, in I don't, do we know? Do we know specific? I've seen well, a couple different Shelter things. from the Storm. I've heard, uh, I've the, heard Shelter from the Storm and I've heard Buckets of Rain, both of them. But I yeah. don't know how anybody could possibly, unless Bob literally told somebody, which seems unlikely. I don't know how we would ever right. know that. I think, right. But I, you and I, not, we're not musicians, but people have told me, people who are musicians, they said they're almost, they're, they're musical Xeroxes of each other. You couldn't have mm. them both on the record. And clearly at some, because it wasn't up to me supposed to end the record at some point. That's, I read that somewhere in somebody's book. Which seems uh, perfect because of so much of the way it, the, the lyrically, the song is such a yes. perfect summation of everything we've heard to this point on the record. Yeah. It brings together all kinds of threads right from the start without it being, you know, a concept record in the yep. strictest sense of the term. But I, you know, if the argument is, should it be up to me or uh, shelter from the storm plus buckets of the rain? I love Buckets of Rain a lot, and I love Shelter from the Storm, too. So I think he maybe made the right choice. And, of course, we get this as well, right? It's not yeah. this, you know, if he just buried it and destroyed it, we never got to hear it. But we can enjoy it whenever we like. So, yeah, but what is it? I, I guess it's because it's the, I mean, he, that era, the Blood on the Tracks era is such a magnificent period for Bob. It's just writing at such a high level and singing so beautifully uh and because it's fueled by so much personal stuff but you know he manages to avoid making it a strictly autobiographical you know it, it's still weird there's still room to maneuver uh, <laughs> all over the place you know that because i think this song slots in beautifully with tangled up in blue uh shelter from the storm idiot wind and then this one, they, they all seem of a piece to me. This, where you get glimpses of Bob, you know, in the spaces there, but it's not strictly autobiographical. So it's fascinating in that way that he's working out all this stuff through these songs, but also all four of those songs seem to me to be about time. He's obsessed with time. Uh, time comes up over and over again throughout this record. And it's right in the first chorus of this song too, right? It's an enemy. Mm-hmm. And 
I know you've mentioned this several times on previous shows that not only, well, you know, that Bob songs, you're never quite sure when they're taking place. It's, and sometimes within any given song, it's horse and buggy. And then it's, you know, I don't know, caveman times. And then, <laughs> right. you know, you're in medieval France or who knows where, Mexico, cowboy Mexico, you're all over the place. And a song like this, not only is it hard to place in, in time, it seems shuffled in time too. Right? It's not a linear story. I don't think he's, he's jumping backwards and forwards in his mind. Maybe, and maybe that's why time is an enemy because he resists this sort of the tyranny of the linear story. Uh, all these things are happening to him at the same time. And he, and that's how it comes out. I think, cause do you, can you follow a story here? Is there a, a narrative here? Oh, no, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he said he mentions in the third verse, the Union Central. You're like, well, OK, so we've got a train. We've got a train pulling out. OK, well, that sets us in a certain period of time. But yeah, it is a load of the place. And as you say, like Tangled Up in Blue, parts of it are clearly happening to Bob Dylan, the man. And then other parts of it are happening to people in just his imagination. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's I mean, this oh, Dylan songs always have. I think I heard this in uh, I think it was Tom Waits who talked about what he likes about songs, other people's songs. And he says he likes songs that have places, places in them because he feels like it orients him. Like it's a physical place and he'll listen to a song and he'll be like, Oh yeah, they're talking about Chicago. All right. The corner of a street mm-hmm. in Dearborn. Okay. I know where that is. Yeah, I'm doing a yeah. terrible Tom Waits, but this, <laughs> this song has so much of that. I mean, it's, it's almost overloaded with evocative place names like the thunderbird cafe i mean what yeah. i mean now there are real places called the thunderbird cafe it's not like he made that up but i never heard of such a place and it's just that just evokes such a strong feeling of in your mind of like what what is that pl- the thunderbird cafe rebirth <laughs> but yet it's a maybe a hole in the wall i mean it sounds like the thunderbird cafe could be down the street from the town that lily rosemary and the jack of hearts takes place in Yes. You know, if you wanted to, but maybe not. It's just, it has so much to it. And as you say, the, the, you know, the time is an enemy. You know, he's talked about that he, his influence from that painter, Norman Rabin, who taught him how to kind of like disassociate himself a little and think of songs as a painting. Then you look at a little piece of it and then you look at another little piece and then you see the whole thing. And right in the second verse, he says, I think if I thought I never would have done it, I guess I would have let it slide. If I'd have lived my life by what others were thinking, the heart inside me would have died. I was just too stubborn to ever be governed by enforced insanity. Someone had to reach for the rising star. I guess it was up to me. Now, first of all, I love the internal rhyme of stubborn mm, and governed. Me too. Just that by itself. This is great. But that verse, right? That verse seems seems to refer to himself as the young guy that came to New York in 1961 and was headed on this road of fame. Or the guy who goes electric. That that too, right. And the, a couple, any kind of moment yeah. where he made a hard break from the life he was leading to that point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, See, I've, I, I read it somewhere. It's not an original idea with me, but that the later on, I think it's in the sixth verse, where he talks, you know, he's working as a postal clerk suddenly and <laughs> pulling the picture down. I read somewhere, somebody said, well, that's a wanted picture. A wanted poster. Sure. Yeah. You know, and then I thought, well, wait a second. Is who is he talking to? And then is this a dialogue? Is it going back and forth 
you know, maybe verse by verse, is it him and somebody else talk, or, you know, or the narrator and somebody else? Is it from the woman's point of view and then the narrator's point of view? Uh, that didn't seem to add up exactly because I couldn't get the second verse to, to fit with the postal clerk verse. Cause then I thought, okay, <laughs> that's the, that's the woman working in the post office taking down the, you know, the wanted poster, but then trying to add it all up so that, you know, the, the, the last verse is, is Dylan or the narrator anyway, you know, cause that's clearly him playing his playing sweet guitar. Sweet guitar yeah. Yeah. But I, again, it wouldn't have to necessarily be one, you know, one verse, one verse or two and two or three and three or anything. It could go however he likes it, but that's always sort of intrigued me that maybe some of them are not from Dylan slash the narrator's point of view. Who knows who betrayed who? Not sure. And I've heard that about Tangled Up in Blue, too, that it's possibly all not from the same point of view, which is just another scrambler that he's pulling, right? You know, <laughs> we just saw it from a different point of view. Yes, exactly. No, but um, to go back to two things you mentioned, one, that Thunderbird Cafe, when my first book came out, which was a, it was a collection of letters that I'd written from Japan and a professor of mine said, Oh, these are great. She published them. So that's what happened. But just to, well, because it was something that Kerouac did. So I was doing it anyway. And also to sort of sneak out from under permissions and all that kind of stuff. I changed <laughs> everybody's name and everything's name. So the company I worked for and all that stuff. Um, and the, my favorite bar here in Gifu, which is actually called the, the beer hall. I changed it in the book to the Thunderbird Cafe, <laughs> straight from this song. So there's that. But yes, these these places, the Thunderbird Cafe, the the post office, the River Bridge, uh, the Officers Club, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The train pulling out. There are these beautiful places that you can that you're you're right there. Guys sitting around playing cards, you know. Uh, and then he manages yeah. to put in the a rounder in the iron mask, which feels well, like a reference from centuries earlier. Or, you know, going back to your commentary on Lonesome Day Blues, isn't he talking about his dick there, bro? The old. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I probably hate not. But I, I feel like there's more references to that in Dylan songs than most people give him credit for because he's so high minded. But I, I think there's a maybe not. There's more maybe there the to be found. Maybe not key. that one though. Maybe the, the master, master key, key though. Maybe the, yeah. the ticket stub. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> he threw Probably me with that one. I was not expecting that. No. Well, I wasn't expecting your take on Lonesome Day Blues either. That was a bit of a, a surprise there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, do you ever run up against this? I've, I, a lot of people that I talk to, like, when they're analyzing lyrics, it's either strictly autobiographical or it's about sex or it's about drugs. You know, <laughs> one of those three, if not all three at once. Right? I'm not sure that that's all, always necessary, but do you know the song Carrie by Joni Mitchell? Uh, but I, I don't, I can't recall in my head as you say it. I think I've heard of it, but okay. I don't, it's I on blue. I don't hear the tune you know, in my head. Oh, you're a mean old daddy, but I like you. You know, uh, Carrie, get out your cane. We'll go to the Mermaid Cafe, have fun tonight. And I was mm. talking to somebody recently and they said, well, cane is clearly co-cane. Right? Oh, clearly? Is it? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't usually go straight for genitalia or drugs necessarily, but maybe I should. <laughs> Maybe I should.
That's a great pull quote. I don't generally go straight for genitalia or drugs, but maybe I should quote. That's <laughs> but uh, dash dash station MD. That's yes. I, that should be on the back cover of your upcoming book of poetry, Jason. And it's, it should be on I'm not telling you how to cover. run your business, but it just saying. Be the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the other things that Dylan is able to do, I think, across but on the tracks, and then this song in particular, is that he is able to convey such deep um, ennui. I guess, and sadness, but it never feels mopey, I guess, Mm. is the term for it. And that's so easy to fall into. You know what I mean? It's so uh, people are just, oh, I'm just sad. And you're like, well, you know, it's like it's a lot of sad bastard music, as Rob Gordon would say in High Fidelity. But this thing never dips into that. And Mm. I mean, like that third verse, he says in the image and the Union Central is pulling out and the orchids are in bloom. Again, the orchids in bloom are just a great scene setting. Uh, you know, you've got that in you're going to make me lonesome when you go about the crickets talking back and forth and rhyme. But he says, I've only got me one good shirt left and it smells of stale perfume. Marvelous. You know, mm-hmm. you've only got one thing left and even this woman has, has imprinted on that. But then in 14 months, I've only smiled once and I didn't do it consciously. Somebody's got to find your trail. I guess it must be up to me. I mean, that line in 14 months, I've only smiled once again with the wonderful internal rhyme months and once mm-hmm. and i didn't do it consciously i mean that just says so much about the feeling of desolation that this guy is feeling and that he's he hasn't even smiled once in a year and two months and even then it wasn't even a conscious effort i mean you're just like oh what a devastating it's just such a devastating line yeah although for me that that line always made me think always makes me think of uh, my kids and when young babies before they smile consciously occasionally they will smile you know unconsciously they're not Mm. trying to smile it's not you're not being funny or anything Mm. although you're trying your best you know Uh, so that's what that always made me think of that you know just an unconscious reaction to something you know not necessarily desolation just Mm. not you barely know what you're doing but that's sort of that feeling all through this you're right it's it's not mopey if i always fi- feel that it's resigned somehow you know mm-hmm. it's, okay i unlike say simple twist of fate where he's saying okay this is it's all fate it's out of my hands here he's saying well i guess it's up to me i'd rather it wouldn't it wasn't you know yeah I'd yeah rather, <laughs> rather things were taken care of but uh <laughs> I guess it's up to, it's always that, I guess, I suppose, you know, I thought it might be up to me. I guess I'm going to have to get on with it, you know, just resigned to it. And again, not being a, a musician, but it doesn't, it's not mopey music. The the melody, no. if you just listen to it without focusing on the words, it doesn't feel, it's not a downer to listen to. It's a bit, it's, it's almost jaunty, almost jaunty, virgin almost. jaunty. Some of the alternate takes are are straight up jaunty, and they don't. I don't think they work quite as well. We will talk about them later on. The other okay. takes of it, but it's he managed to. Uh, it's sort of funny. I mean, we don't know what the select. Obviously, he had a lot of versions of this to perm from when it came time for biograph, mm. and he chose this one. And it always could be the the whole. You know, the first experience is always your best. And then you're really, you know, your first James Bond is the, your favorite James Bond is your first James Bond. And so that's that for you. Well, that's what I'm saying is like, to me, the version of biograph is heads and no, tails. Which, which James Bond is? Oh, your Roger first Moore. Bond. Roger Moore. Cause he was my first, he's my first one. Which um, movie? 
Uh, well, that's okay. Well, that's funny you say that. My first James Bond movie that I ever would have seen would have been Moonraker, which mm-hmm. is not a good one. But my favorite one is For Your Eyes Only. That's my favorite James Bond movie of all time. And okay. it just makes me stupid happy every time I, it comes on. We were actually listening to an, an 80s serious uh channel the other day and they started playing the sheena easton song and i just i literally stopped what i was doing and just sat listened to it It makes me so happy that song but um but like so to me the biograph version is Mm. is the best version but that might be because that's the one i've known for 20 years 30 years and these other ones are i'm i'm comparing them to the one i know but i just feel like the other ones are either too sad or too jaunty there's a couple that are like almost like uh up up tempo and it's like "Mm, it doesn't really Mm -hmm. work this this version for biograph is the one that i feel like he nails it he gets it right in the center like it's john as you say it's not mopey music it's not sad i mean imagine sending these words to like simple twist of fate you want to kill yourself you know it's so sad yeah but yet you know the lyrics are incredibly desolate sort of in a lot of ways so to me it's this version is the one like okay they knew the best one out of the 10 they had he knew which was the one to put on Biograph, but who knows? Again, we don't know the selection process for that. Yeah, I was listening to those alternate versions today, too, and uh, they're enjoyable. What it, I found remarkable is there are no lyric changes of any note. Very little. Yeah, little bits and pieces here and there, but little nothing substantial. Pieces, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as you and John Glynn were talking about, it's astonishing that he didn't pillage this for later songs, you know, or mm-hmm. none of these wonderful verses showed up Elsewhere, you know, because I think he's been doing that for the past ten or fifteen years. Oh yeah, you know, moving yeah. things around from all that stuff on time out of mind and so on that he was shifting around. Uh, but none of this showed up anywhere else, did it? No, no. Incredible. It's... Like if I'd written this song, I'd sit back and go, "Okay, yeah, this is a career maker." This song yes. <laughs> from from more people. This would be like, hey, I'm a genius. I wrote this, you know, and then he's like, no, no, no. So how long, what's, how long is it, was it between Blood on the Tracks and Biograph? Is that about 10 years? 10 years, 75 to 85. So, right. This thing sat in the vault. Now it was, it was apparently available on bootlegs almost immediately. According to Clinton Halen's book, The Recording Sessions, the minute the, released album came out there was a bootleg available of all the new york sessions so i mean good lord the stuff leaked out almost immediately so people yeah. and this was this song was never attempted in minneapolis this was not one of the ones that they ever revised he started the the initial session for blood on the tracks he tried this and i believe that's that's got to be one of the versions that's on more blood more tracks and then he worked on the album proper with all the songs that we know and then went back to this again uh, and then that's the version that's on Biograph, supposedly. Now, where these other ones fit in, I don't exactly know. But this was mm-hmm. never attempted with the Minneapolis crew, which, again, that would have been interesting. I would, Knowing the gold that they were producing up there, it would have been interesting to hear the whole record done by those guys, just to hear all those alternate versions. So it would have been yeah. fascinating to hear a version done by that band. Yeah, what they did to Tangle Up in Blue is oh. magical. Yes. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine? Um, so the song goes on. He says, it was like a revelation when you betrayed me with your touch. I just about convinced myself nothing to change that much. The old rounder in the iron mask. He slipped me the master key. Somebody had to unlock your heart. He said it was up to me. Now, do you, do you have any, can you be able to reconcile in your mind at all what that is? What I, I'm not, I can't make heads or tails of 
this verse? Not, no, not really. And it's it's you know it was like a revelation. <laughs> it wasn't even it wasn't a wasn't a revelation. It was like one. Yeah, like revelation. Uh, yeah, and rounder. I looked that up. That's sort of like a petty criminal, I think, mm-hmm. uh, slash hobo, something, right. Some, <laughs> right, something like that. And then, yeah, in the Iron Mask, I don't know about you, I go straight to that's Three Musketeers. Yeah, stuff, yep, right? yep. Which again is him screwing around with time. I think you know we're the train, and then now we're in France, and uh, with a hobo thief slipping into the key. What? No, I have no idea what he's on about, but I like it. You know, I don't understand it, but I like it. <laughs> uh, and then again, we, we get another time shift where he says, well, I watched you slowly disappear down into the officer's club. I would have followed you in the door, but I didn't have a ticket stub. So I waited all night till the break of day, hoping one of us could get free. When the dawn came over the river bridge, I knew it was up to me. So once again, mm-hmm. we have this other thing of the woman is maybe not the woman, maybe. but the, the object of the affection is disappearing into this club where or is it the narrator watching the the woman go down into the club on the arm of an officer mm, okay so i always sort of that saw it okay and the guy not an officer <laughs> doesn't even have a ticket stub man right he For can't me, get in yeah this whole this this verse is about every teenage breakup where then you hear that the girl is she's going out with the with the captain of the football team right. or whatever. You <laughs> That's know. right. James Spader and Pretty in Pink. That's <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've broken up, you screwed it up, and uh, now she's with this officer, and you can only sit there cold outside on the bridge, you know, and then you go, okay, I got to get on with things, you know. That's huh. how I always take in this one. Okay. See, I always, I always took it as that she is, because, okay, officer's club, we're talking about, military that's a military outfit there are there is as far as i know there's no other thing as an officer's club outside of a military context Hmm. and again if we if the singer is male which he is at least in the reality of this song then presumably he's talking about a female we don't actually get any pronouns i don't think in this song of he or she so we don't really know well no 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 he does she's everything i need and love Yeah. yeah so okay scratch that um, but at least, well, maybe that's true in that verse, but maybe I'm yes, true exactly, in this yes. verse. <laughs> but, but I always took it as whoever is going into the officer's club is working as a waitress or is, is working there, not a ah. guest. She's working. And then, then to me, that refers back to Tangled Up in Blue, where he goes into the, the strip club. Right. And uh, the girl ties his shoe there. So there can mean it's like, okay, he's borrowing from that idea that she's going, but he can't even get in to see her while she's working because he can't get into the club. And I also like the inversion of him not having a ticket stub, which is something that probably a lot of people might have said about Bob Dylan concerts. I'd love to go, but I don't have a ticket. I can't get into right. the Dylan show because <laughs> because I don't have a ticket. Um, but then, and then this this image of him waiting all night, like sitting outside this club, waiting, waiting for, for this out. person to come out, and she never does. Right. Uh, is kind of like, well, did did she go home with somebody? Is what something happened to her? He doesn't know. That's again just incredibly like this poor bastard. <laughs> That's so sad. It's like, oh my god! But hoping one of us could get free. One of us, yeah. Maybe what does that mean? Matter? Yeah, yeah. Who? Which one? And then he realizes I got to get free. You know, it's 
I got to do this. She's either not going to do it or she can't or she hasn't or who knows what, you know, I'm not I got to sure. get free of this thing. I've got to get free oh, of or this. Or maybe, yeah, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop yeah. <laughs> sitting on the bridge all night waiting for her to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah I've, I've been there. <laughs> not not, not exactly too. that, but I've, but I've been there. Yeah. Uh, way too long. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's so Me sad. Um, so, and then we get into this incre- another incredible verse. Oh, the only decent thing I did when I worked as a postal clerk was to haul your picture down off the wall near the cage where I used to work. Was I a fool or not to protect your real identity? You looked a learned and burned out, my friend. I thought it might be up to me. Again, with these internal rhymes, hall, yeah. wall, you know, like just, un- yeah. and again, just such a powerful image of hauling your picture down off the wall with the cage where I used to work. And you know, you mentioned the the whole bit about it's like a wanted poster. I didn't get that when we did the first take on this song mm. back in episode 15. I didn't understand that at all. And then it was somebody, I think even commenting on this episode said, well, I always took it as it's a wanted poster. Oh, of course. Who, who has pictures at the post office? Wanted people. <laughs> I've got like, what other pictures would there be? And uh, you know, of course, and that's, it's, I always find that, um, I got to tell you, I still see those in post offices. I don't know if you do. Do they have those in Japan? Do they yes, have, they do. They yes. do. Okay. Maybe yeah. this is an international thing. I still see those and I can't not think of this song when I see a poster up in the post office. And that's, I mean, this is immediately <laughs> what I think of is this song. But then, you know, suddenly it's my friend. So yeah. Is that, it's, is that still the woman or the narrator or is it something else entirely? You know, is this another character being introduced? Hard to say. You know, how many people are involved here? We got the old rounder. We have Dupree, Crystal, Estelle, <laughs> the girl in the shades, ringleaders, <laughs> boys playing cards, right? <laughs> you know, quite a lot of people. Hard to say at any point. That's like this whole song is a, is a disequilibrium. Right. There's no stability at any point. You know, you sort of never really know what's going on, who's talking to who or why, which is one of the things I like about it, because, again, room to maneuver, right? Room to, mm-hmm. to, to play with it a little, which is it's a great gift, actually, from Dylan to, yeah. to, to give us that space, you know? Yeah, it allows you to lean in and kind of decide for yourself what this part means, what this part means. It doesn't you know, he's not nailing it all down for you and you can. Yeah. Ignore it at that point. Like, oh, I just, I can't, you know, somebody who hasn't been through this, someone who hasn't experienced this kind of heartbreak or even confusion that can't experience it. And then they can just throw it off. But, but there's enough here that it, anybody can relate to this on some level. You know, mm. anybody, there's someone's, everyone's experienced some emotion like this takes place in the song. Now, the, the, I mean, if you want to take this little verse as its own little story, it almost is like, yeah, he's talking to this now third person who is presumably a criminal and yeah. he's doing this person a solid by tearing off their picture down off the wall. You look now, a little burned out, my friend. You look the learner burned, you know, but this seemed, but you know, again, and I think this is probably what my interpretation was when I did the first episode, which again, I did not re-listen to, I can't listen to old episodes of the show. I just get <laughs> so frustrated with the, the uh, mm. idiot who's hosting it, but the, um, the haul your picture down off the wall Again, I thought it always, it also could be that it's that, that's the, he had a photo of this person that meant a lot to him in his cage. He works in a cage. First of all, the visual, he works in a, he works yeah. in a friggin' cage, but it, 
it also could just be that like like you do when you for people who work in offices that what do you have you have pictures of your family or loved ones yeah in your office and this is a constant reminder of this person and the only thing i the only decent thing i did was that a decent thing to do is for himself for himself he's giving himself a break like you know what every day i go into my friggin' cage and i'm yeah. looking at this person's face again maybe decent isn't exactly the right term but uh, you yeah. know for lack of a better word at the moment but it, it also really could be this is the, the only thing i did for myself to make mm. myself better was to take your picture down off the wall because now i don't see you every day now but then that but then was i a fool not to protect your real yeah. identity that seems to in, that seems to go against that because obviously it does seem to suggest this person is is wanted by some authority yeah and decent and just haul not take your picture down yeah. the wall all <laughs> yeah you know that suggests coming out you know <laughs> so yeah we're carrying a giant box or something yes you know and was I a fool or not to do that? You know, was, did I do the right thing? Well, you looked a little burned out. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I could help you out a bit, you know, do you solid. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Hard to say, but <laughs> it's like, imagine, 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 right. I mean, you know, about writing, you do a podcast all about writing uh, a wonderful podcast about writing. Imagine, imagine writing a single verse in a song that can have that much loaded into it. Four lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> What he does here is re- is unbelievably remarkable from the standpoint of bad writing is very often too abstract, right? It's you're dealing in things that nobody can touch or feel. So it's love and war and mm. whatever. This is very physical, right? Mm-hmm. The cage and the picture. Yeah, man, that's you're right there in a physical setting. So it's not abstract. But yet, even with these concrete details, uh, there's a lot of space, yeah. which is really, really hard to do. Again, it paints this wonderful visual of this sad sack guy working in a cage. You imagine it probably looks a little like the cage that um, Danny DeVito worked in and the the taxi, you know, when he was up in that, he was up on the backstage yes. in that cage yeah. and he was just kind of boxed off from everybody and but- every, everybody's passing by and here's this sad sack just doing whatever menial task he's doing. It seems to fit with a post office, but couldn't you almost with almost any job? So he nails the the dreariness and horror yeah. of work so beautifully with yep. just the cage where I used to work. You know, that's a that's a busboy's job, or you know, anybody paper boy, you know, <laughs> teacher doesn't matter, man. The cage where I used to work, just oh. being stuck, you know, and. and the only decent thing is I could do this one little thing for you. You know, was, mm-hmm. was it a good move or not? Not sure, but I thought I could. I thought I could help you out a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's really tender <laughs> while also being sort of awful. Yeah, my <laughs> right. And right. again, the whole the whole notion of the work cage. I mean, he said that's I I work from home now. I'm luckily uh, lucky enough to work from home of having been in an office but now we're home full-time and i will i will never give that up (laughs) you will pry that out of my cold dead hands and go back to an office uh so then as if that verse wasn't already you know a master class in understatement and how to how to Mm. write a song he follows it up with well i met somebody face to face and i had to remove my hat she's everything i need and love but i can't be swayed by that 
it frightens me the awful truth of how sweet life can be, but she ain't going to make a move. I guess it must be up to me, which mm. is completely for me, completely devastating. It is just, it is so true. So gets to the heart of the matter that it is, it's it really is sort of like gobsmacking. You're just like, I can't believe that this, he can put this much across in again, four lines. Now, in your mind, Jason, is mm-hmm. it frightens me the awful truth of how sweet life can be. Is the narrator in the in that instance being genuine or is he being sarcastic? Is he is he kind of like, oh yeah, is the how sweet life can be? Or is he actually saying, I can see the life I could have with this person, and mm-hmm. it is so good that I'm a little terrified from it? Yeah, definitely the latter. But mm. but I think it connects back to time being an enemy Mm. he sees that it can be sweet it can be it can be everything you've ever dreamed about but it's not going to last that's the thing Mm. whatever you love or whoever you love rather they will die right (laughs) that's there's not much you can do about that it's and that makes all love tragic right Mm-hmm. Everybody you love is going to die sometime. So it's terrifying to to fall in love. I feel that with my kids. You it, you mm-hmm. can't help it when you're a parent. Because you know, not only are they going to have hard times, but yes, I mean, the, yes, the awful truth of how sweet it can be. But that's only half of the story, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's the other bit. The more you love, the the harder it hurts, of course, you know. So I think I that's how I've always seen it anyway, that mm. when you go all in on something, then, yeah, you're opening up to all kinds of uh, awful truths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yes, it's also a matter of courage, I think, that, you know, when you see the chance, do you have the gut? There's a great interview with um, with Yoko Ono, where she said, John and I were at first when we met, we were a bit wary of each other because we knew this was the big one. And mm. we knew what it would cost us to get together. And we weren't really sure we could handle it, right? And I was always struck by that, that you can see, there it is. This is the one. Do I have the guts to go for it? You know, maybe not. Maybe it's easier to to be with the second best or the third best or, <laughs> you know, the eighth best, the 27th best, you know. <laughs> It, it, what do you think? Did you, did you think he's being serious here or is he joking around? I've always thought he was that the, the, in that line, he was being serious, he was being straightforward. But I always, again, you know, there's enough room that it could be a different interpretation. But Mm. this, this bit, first of all, again, we're, we seem to be flashing back to the beginning of the song where he's meeting this person for the first time. Um, Mm. I love the phrase, I had to remove my hat, which is such a kind of an old timey kind of thing. Yeah, Black fedora. I mean, people, yeah. yeah, people don't wear hats anymore, but they, 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 you know, they did at one time, and that was a gesture of respect. When you met someone, you removed your hat. You didn't wear your hat indoors, you know, mm. that kind of thing. So that's again, it sort of this old time sets it back to a certain period. And she's everything I need in love, but I can't be swayed by that. It frightens me the awful truth, and it makes me recall that scene in uh, Citizen Kane, which I covered over extensively over my Citizen Kane minute show. Where uh, have you seen that movie in a in a in at least a, in a while, Jason? Not for 
five or six years or something. Okay. Yeah. There's that scene though, where, where the narrator, Mr. Thompson, the reporter goes to visit, uh, Kane's, um, assistant and sort of chief, uh, legend fluffer, Mr. Bernstein. And Bernstein has this, and he's an old, he's an old man by that point in the, in the story. He's, he's, you know, like he's elderly and Kane is long since dead. And he has that comment where he says, you know, you'd be surprised what people remember. Cause they, the, the reporter's thinking, could it be a woman? Could Rosebud be a woman's name? That seems unlikely that he'd remember that or a racehorse. Mm-hmm. And then Bernstein says, well, you'd be surprised what you remember. And he tells this story about being on a ferry. And he saw a woman with a white parasol and he was paralyzed by her beauty. And he says, I never said anything to her and she never saw me. And he goes, but a day hasn't gone by in those 60 years that I haven't thought of that woman. Mm. And it's an, you know, you're like, whoa, you know, and again, it's this idea of, are you, do you have the ability in the moment to reach out for that thing that you want and grab it? Or are you too scared of what it could be? And here he says, it frightens me, the awful yeah. truth of how sweet yeah. life can be. And it's like, in a moment, he's he's meeting this woman, he's removing his hat. And in this moment, he is seeing everything that they could have together, all in like this mad rush of images. And it terrifies him a little bit. But then on the other hand, it also could be that he is with this woman, and it's gone all wrong. Mm. And he's now looking at the parallel. He's doing the everything everywhere all at once kind of thing where he's saying, you know what? We, the, the, our road could have gone this way, but it's now gone this way. Yeah. You know? I can't be swayed by that. Swayed. You know, like, yeah. This is, yeah. Everything I need to love, but I, I, I can't, I have this other thing I have to, whatever that is, you know, yep. it's not clear. Uh, the rejection of love for what? Business, money, fame. A career, right. A career being Bob Dylan, you know. The uh, rising star, reaching for the rising star. Reaching for star. the rising star, you know. Maybe. I mean, had, yeah. <laughs> probably had to be kind of tough to be married to Bob Dylan just because he's Bob Dylan. Not that because not for his mm. not because of his personal failings, whatever they are, but just because it's Bob Dylan. In addition to his personal failings. In addition yes. to his personal failings, yes. <laughs> In addition to his I mean, I it's sort of funny. There's a new show out, um, new podcast called significant others it's hosted by conan o'brien's wife liza o'brien and she's a playwright and and she's a writer and it's all about the famous the less famous spouse of a famous person now Mm. of course up until a certain point in history you're generally going to be talking about women because women didn't get the opportunity to be famous on their own they were always having to be the spouse of the great man in all caps but i mean and they'll you know Obviously, she's done episodes on like Gandhi's wife and Mary Todd Lincoln and the Bokov's wife and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sarah Dillon would be an amazing episode. There's no way that's ever going to happen. Oh, I know. Never going to happen that episode. Not as long as Sarah Dillon is still alive. But that would be, and again, not even for purian reasons, just basic react. Like, what was it like to be yeah. the guy's wife? You know, that's crazy. But again, that will, the odds are that will, that will never ever ever happen <laughs> because no. of uh and that's you know that's to her credit absolutely and absolutely maybe to his as well i'm not sure i mean why wouldn't she you know what is it does anybody know why she doesn't talk about it the offers that she must have had to have turned down in the yeah. in the in the in the, in the in her intervening half century have got to have been 
unbelievable. Unbelievable. Have you ever seen that picture of because I read somewhere that they considered getting back together in the I heard that yeah sometime yeah have you ever seen that picture of them sitting they look like they're sitting on some rocks in the yes. ocean and they're you know from the infidels like time a, yeah um, yeah yeah I I don't know that really cheered me up you know <laughs> no matter what they'd gone through that they would you know they could they still went out and sat on the rocks by the ocean and talked and you mm-hmm. know she doesn't put up with his shit and he doesn't have to be Bob Dylan with her, you know, all that stuff. Because man, today, this afternoon, I was watching, um, I was watching Mastin Anonymous. Uh, like he is so weird and funny and great, but who is he? Like <laughs> he's a block of wood with a cowboy hat in that movie. That's yeah, like... he can't walk. You ever watch how he walks? He doesn't even walk like a normal person. <laughs> And that scene where he's talking to John Goodman and he's in the chair and he's all twisted up with his legs over the, you know, (laughs) so weird, you know, but is that what he's like? Or is this a weird, you know, is this a movie version of himself or who knows? That's again, room to maneuver and space to play. Right. Absolutely. Uh, You might, well, not, not to, we don't go too far down this road, but my favorite moment actually in uh, the, my favorite bit in the Howard Sounds' book down the highway is I think it's in the end, I think it's in like the postscript where he talks about that he did manage to get Sarah Dillon's phone number. Uh, I don't know if she even goes by Sarah Dillon anymore. Of course, they haven't been married in so long, so maybe she goes by something else. But but he managed to get her phone number and he calls her. And apparently it took her about five seconds into the phone call when she until she realized that what this phone call was about. Yeah. And according to Howard Sounds, she just said, Oh, please, and plopped the phone down. <laughs> and I, and first of all, I love the, the, the plopped the phone down. That's something we've lost wow. in the age yes, of cell phones. Yes. You don't get, you don't get the, the, the sound of the receiver going clunk, you know, which is, you know, kind of underscores how much someone doesn't want to talk to you, which is good. We don't get that now. It's all just beeps, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just a, yeah. but it, he painted such a great visual of, I can imagine this woman holding this big receiver. Waiting to hear what is this about? You know, is this the Time Life Club about, you know, is this the Columbia Record House that I not order the CDs? And then it's, you know, talk about Bob De Oh, please, clunk. You know, like oh, I just walked away, oh, went back to washing the dishes or whatever what she was doing. I thought, but, uh, oh, please is so much more charming than fuck you. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, please. You know, it's just the, again, re- resignation. Oh, You're the oh, 40 billionth person that's called you know, me about this. Oh, so, please. yeah. Oh, please. And, <laughs> yes <laughs> so but anyway those two verses in the middle of a brilliant song mm-hmm. those two verses back to back i mean i really think you'd be hard pressed to say are there any two better verses back to back verses in any dylan song i mean mm. re- i mean it it really i could see why this this song sits so highly in your pentology holy yeah. pentology because holy it's just pentology. you're 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 still dealing with the 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 postal clerk bit and then i'll bang awful truth yeah. of how sweet life can be you're just like oh my god and you know again right. another a, another reason why i i think it's worthy of redoing songs after enough time has passed is because i'm gonna get too deep into it uh, but like when i did that episode the first time i was not happy and i wasn't happy and i probably hadn't smiled consciously for a long time mm. and then things I made some changes and things got much better. And now the baseline of what I consider my life at any given moment 
is so much better than what it was when I did that first episode. It can't so much it's, sweeter. It's so much sweeter. It's it, it I mean it's quantum how much better it is thanks to some mm. of the changes I made and some of the luck that I've had and things like that. But it's I that line was more bitter when I knew it at the time and when I did that episode than it is now because it is like, well, no, okay. I I saw that narrow chance to do something better for myself and I did it and now I'm on the other side and I can't imagine having not done it. You know? You um, made the move. I made the move. I made the move. I mean I I I I can I can still recall the moment when I was I was I was standing <laughs> I was standing in a doorway actually but I was I had this moment where I was like am I going to do this thing that I need to do because if I don't do it right now I may never do it right in this moment and I did it but I can remember standing there contemplating am I really going to do this and then I did it and now we're here we are and it, so that line is again it's like mm. like so many Dylan songs it changes with you over time it's the same damn line he yes. hasn't changed it, but it morphed, morphs depending on your life experience. Yeah, uh, and those are the best lines, best songs, best albums, best movies too, right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. You can go back to them as you get older and learn more and go through some some shit and you go, oh, wait a second. I just watched, rewatched the entire Godfather trilogy, including the new version of part three. Ooh. The- the re-edited version. Did, Have I you do seen not, that? I've seen that. I did not like it. Oh, you didn't like it? Not the not as, the re-edited as compared one. To, no. the, to the original? Three is a flawed film, but I think the re-edited one is not not an improvement in my in my estimation. Okay. Well we can argue about that later. Okay. But All right. Okay. When I first saw Godfather One and Two anyway, I thought, oh, mafia action and uh, <laughs> yeah. Some shoot 'em ups and revenge. Yeah, great. And watching it this time, I thought this is, it's a family story. Yep. You know, I didn't, it's about, that's why it's still gripping and still interesting. You know, 10 years later, 20 years later, whenever yep. that I watched it last time, it's about family, which, you know, you don't necessarily care about when you're 19 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big movie and I watched it and I dug it, you know. Yes. So to come back to these records and these songs, for them to be big enough to contain the Rob Kelly of whatever, five years ago. Yeah. And also the Rob Kelly of today, you know, and the Rob Kelly presumably of five years from now too. I mean, or 10 we'll years see. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so we could do news on We heard the Sermon on the Mount and I know it was too complex. It didn't amount to anything more than what the broken glass reflects. When you bite off more than you could chew, you got to pay the penalty. Somebody's got to tell the tale. I guess it must be up to me. Now, you mentioned that there's not a lot of lyrical variations, and there really isn't. Now, I noticed in the the on BobDylan.com, the line here is, when you bite off more than you can chew, you pay the penalty. Yeah. But when he sings the Biogrivers, and he sings, you got to pay, got the, to penalty. pay the penalty. You got to. Yeah. Now, that seems relatively minor, but to me, it feels very different. There's a... When he, when he, in the line, you, and in the other versions, he doesn't sing got to. He says, you pay the penalty, which to me sounds like it's the narrator here is not getting involved. He's kind of just, well, you pay, like he's just saying mm. it matter of factly, like the, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. It just happens. But mm. when you say you got to pay the penalty, 
that's the narrator leaning in a little saying, well, you got, you got to do that. Like it's, it's kind of somebody's metaphorically nudging you, like pushing you behind your back. Like uh, uh, uh. you got to pay the penalty, you know, to me, it seems more insistent and a little more uncomfortable than just you pay the penalty. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm putting way too much into uh, a a single word, but to me, there's a difference. (laughs) What it reminds me of Rob is when, um, when my brother was here in Japan and we went to go see Bob, it was the first time we, my brother's first Dylan concert, my second. And it was, it was just before uh, Love and Theft came out. So I don't know, 2000, early 2001. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. when, but I don't think Love and Theft had come out yet. Anyway, he's doing uh, Tangled Up in Blue. And instead of um, a, a poet from the, 13th century it was some poet from the 13th century and my brother turned to me and grabbed my (laughs) my arm and said did you hear that some poet from the 13th century (laughs) yeah a poet or some poet some poet a poet but it was you know we got our we got our own unique version some poet uh what i like about this particular verse is that right between the fedora removing 40s verse and then in the next verse, he's in the Thunderbird Cafe. This is almost sort of Life of Brian territory, right? Yeah, Sermon on the Mound. I mean, yeah, yeah. Are they actually there, or they, like they heard it? Who hears the Sermon on the Mound? <laughs> Don't you read it or talk about it? You know, we heard the Sermon on the Mound. <laughs> Blessed so are the meek. Oh, well, good for them. They have a hell of a time. <laughs> Cheese makers? What? <laughs> I don't think you're specifically talking about cheese. I think he's just to any one of any dairy product. <laughs> Big nose. Yeah, all that stuff. It's great. But, yeah, but we heard the Sermon on the Mount. But then he's sort of rejecting it. I knew it was too complex, right? He's Yeah. Uh, uh, it's It doesn't amount to anything more than what the broken gra- glass reflects, which sounds to me like, yeah, it's nothing. It's it's junk. It's yeah, garbage. it's the gibberish. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's scrambled gibberish yeah yeah oh lord uh, <laughs> and now mm. so then the next verse we get into all these characters now he's throwing in names at us yeah which we had not had to this point and now we're introduced to all these people we don't know who they are well dupree first of all that's kind of an old-timey name too dupree, dupree yeah came dupree. in pimping tonight to the thunderbird cafe crystal wanted to talk to him i had to look the other way well i just can't rest without now again Maybe I'm mishearing it, but here on BobDillon.com, the line is, well, I just can't rest without you, love. Mm. I need your company, but you ain't going to cross the line. I guess it must be up to me. On the biograph version, I swear to God, he sings, well, I just can't rest without your love. Yeah. I yeah, need your company. Too. He doesn't say yeah. you love. He's your love. Again, minor yeah. difference, but enough that uh, you know he wrote it differently. But then, okay, so Dupree is coming in and he's pimping. Okay. Crystal uh, wanted to talk to him. Well, she's obviously a lady of the evening and he had to look the other way. He couldn't stand to watch what's going on. Yeah. So, okay. Is the but woman, is, is the woman is, now, uh, is she a prostitute as well? Is that what's, you know, or is Crystal the one that he had to remove his hat? You know, mm-hmm. uh, who knows? Or is, again, is this, uh, from a female narrator's point of view? Mm hmm. Is she sitting in the Thunderbird Cafe? And she doesn't want any part of this Dupree. 
man. And she's talking to the narrator. I just can't rest without your love. I need your company. You ain't going to cross the line. <laughs> Who knows, man? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> Again, the Thunder Thunderbird yeah. Cafe, man. Thunderbird I mean... Cafe. But isn't that a beautiful, uncorny, romantic line? I just can't rest without your love. I need your company. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. I'm going to, I'm going to waltz downstairs when we're finished talking here and say that to my wife. There you go. Just... Report back how that goes. I want to okay. know how that, yeah. how that, how that works. Uh, there are things, uh, there are these things I've, I've seen that people make, like, uh, Etsy kind of artists make of, uh, like maps of areas that are like all these different elements from movies all put into like one geographical location. So it's made to look like an actual map. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of fun. I saw we were just at a convention a couple of weeks ago and somebody did that of like all the places Jason like murdered somebody, you know, like that kind of thing or, or mm-hmm. Michael Myers or whatever. And they're, you know, if, yeah. you're a horror, if you're a horror fan, they're, they're fun. Some some enterprising person could do an incredible Bob Dylan map of all the places he's mentioned, all the locations. And I mean, it would take a lot of oh. interpretation because where is the Thunderbird Cafe? Is it even in America? Yeah. We don't, is we it, don't really know. Is it in San Antonio? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, is it down the road from where Lily Rosemary from from where the where the the gambling hall takes place? You know, we don't know. Down, it could be down the road to ecstasy is where. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So so we now we're more characters here in the next verse. There's a note left in the bottle. You can give it to Estelle. She's mm-hmm. the one you've been wondering about, but there's really nothing much to tell. We both heard voices for a while. Now the rest is history. Somebody's got to cry some tears. I guess it must be up to me. Now, again, a note in the bottle. Well, what it, what does that make you think about? Well, throwing a message in a bottle, throwing it into the water, and hoping somebody rescues you because you're stuck on an island. But here, the bottle seems to be a liquor bottle. I guess because we're still are we still in the Thunderbird Cafe? Is that Estelle there too? Mm. I guess again, I you know I don't know, but it 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 feels powerful one way or the other. Yeah, Estelle, Crystal, Dupree. Not sure how these people are involved, right? Uh, <laughs> but he's clearly sort of just writing Estelle off, you know, like you were wondering about it. But there's not much there. I like we both we both heard voices for a while, which suggests we were out of our minds. You know, we, mm-hmm. were, we were crazy. You know, we were hallucinating and you know but yeah it's just history yeah someone's got to cry about it i guess it's me well you're not going to do it you know he refuses to be governed by enforced insanity so yeah (laughs) i don't know but there's really nothing much to tell i just always thought that is you know like jealousy weren't you out with estelle last night what were were you doing you know maybe this is because i'm immature and i'm going back to you know, that uh, the officer's club and being a teenager and worrying about who's seen with who at what time, you know. But there's, yeah, he or she is the one you've been wondering about. There's really nothing much there. <laughs> someone's got to go cry. Yeah, someone's got to cry. Somebody. got to go cry about it. It's probably me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, the kind of disassociation. Like, oh, maybe, maybe me. I don't know. We'll find out. Again, it's that there is a the narrator here is often distant you know occasionally opens up you know it frightens me the awful truth mm-hmm. but here he's pretty blase about things you know ah, you can give it to estelle you know yeah yeah I'm looking the other way i'm not getting involved too much uh 
he's sort of at the periphery of things, it seems here. Yeah, you know? yeah. He's cut himself off from feeling too much about it now at this point from these, yeah, all these random. Yeah, it's too painful. It's too painful, right. All these he's random still got to go cry about it later, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> then we have the last two verses, which seem to be uh, of some sort of break from the rest of the song where he's now whatever time period we've been dealing with, whatever various time periods we've been dealing with, we are now in the, the to me, for these two last verses, we're in the present and it's the person singing is what that's what is we're taking place right this second. And he says, go on boys, play your hands. Life is a pantomime. Again, I love that kind of like, yeah, guys go waste your time, whatever. Just yeah, play your hands. Matter. Life's yeah. a pantomime. The ring leaders from the County seat, so you don't have all that much time. And the girl with me behind the shades, she ain't my property. One of us has got to hit the road. I guess it must be up to me. Now, again, the girl with me behind the shades. Mm. We, I try so hard to not make these songs about Bob because, again, that's a very limited way of looking at it. But how can you hear that as anything other than the famous, the woman that is famously connected to this famous man? She's behind the, I mean, the guy is famous for hiding behind his shades, you know? Yeah. I mean, Clint Hanlon used that phrase for his, one of his books, behind right. the shades. Yeah. It's, she's behind the shades with me. She ain't my property though. Like she's got to be free to go do her own thing. Uh, again, like you were saying about the previous verse, like he is in these last couple of verses, he's pushing himself away from all of it. Now he's been feeling a lot, but now he's just kind of like, all right, uh, go on, moving boys. on. Go yeah. on, boys. Play your hands. Just, this, mm. you know, again, this kind of shruggy and life is a pantomime is such a dismissive way of referring to it that it's either it's just a show. It's, it's a maybe, jokey show. The yeah. jokey show. Yeah. And you're not in control of it. You're not in right. control. The puppet masters can whatever that, whatever, right. however you want yeah, that the to ringleaders. Be. Yeah. The yeah. ringleader. Yeah. The ringleaders from the county seat. Again, government corruption. Is always, I feel like, just always a half turn away in any given Dylan song. <laughs> People, you know, the authorities running the thing, it's not good. But it's, but it's also back to time here, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have all that much time. Yeah. This is something that comes up not only throughout this song, but the whole record, right? The past was close behind. Yeah. Time yeah. is a jet you plane, know, moves too time's fast. Time is a jet plane, it moves too fast. Yeah. You know, I could stay with you forever and never realize the time. <laughs> <laughs> if I could only turn back the clock, right? The whole album is time, of, time, yeah, time out of mind. And you don't, you time out of mind, and <laughs> there must be a couple others that we're not thinking of right now. I'm but. betting. I, I mean, you could do this search on BobDylan.com. I wonder if that word is the most time. used word yeah. uh, in terms of. I mean, obviously excluding you and her and him i'm using pronouns which is the, the building blocks yeah. of any the but in terms of actual descriptors or nouns i would imagine time has got to be up there i bet if you plug in time to bobdylan.com you get a lot of results i knew everything by heart to... man it all went by so fast it yeah, all went no, by so fast yeah right even if he time. doesn't specifically mention time the concept of time going yes. by so fast is about time even if he's not using that actual that actual word even you yesterday yeah <laughs> yeah you had to ask clocks, me how, how yeah yeah early one believe. morning yeah a good <laughs> i can't believe after all these years you didn't know <laughs> yes. any better than that 
So, yeah. okay, now uh, how do you end this song? How do you possibly mm. end this this towering achievement of song? Well, I don't know. Let's just come up with a verse that just kicks you in the nards. <laughs> leaves in you the nards, yeah. <laughs> leaves you Wolfman's got nards. Leaves you breathless. If we never meet again, baby, remember me. How my lone guitar played sweet for you, that old-time melody, and the harmonica around my neck, I blew it for you free. No one else could play that tune. You knew it was up to me. And then what does he do? Then the harmonica comes in. And another reason why I think this version, the the biograph one, is the version, because to me, he nails the harmonica bit like he does not on any of the other versions. Yeah. Um, And this... Maybe this is the reason that he rejected the song. This seems so clearly to be Bob. Yes. Yeah. So nakedly yep. Bob. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe it was too, too nakedly Bob for him to, to end the album on this. Wait a second. This, yeah. is, this sounds like I'm going away for a while. You know, I, it's too, it's too, it's a bit too on the nose, really. I love it. I think it's tender and beautiful, but maybe for the final track on your on your on your big album, right? Your your return to form album. Maybe this is a little too on the nose for again, an artist who likes to provide room to maneuver and space to wonder. This is uh Oh, here I am. Guitar and guitar and harmonica. Who do you think this is about? You know? Yeah, I mean, he did end Planet Ways with Wedding Song, which is even more on the nose, right? That, as great as that song is, but that might have been the reason why he didn't do this. He might have been like, mm. maybe although, I should stop although, doing although this of course, at the end of... <laughs> what, what does he do on the Sarah, next album? Right, yeah, Sarah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, and then what does he do on the album after that? You know, yeah, uh, where are you tonight? Oh Lord, yes. yeah. So, so maybe he backed off. Maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, who knows? But maybe this was a bit too autobiographical for an album that is not strictly autobiographical, right? Maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. Buckets of Rain is, you know, like Shelter from the Storm and then Buckets of Rain. It has a lot of these elements, but it's diffused a bit, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This might be too straight. I don't know. I I mean, I've also heard that things were just done for a practical reason is that albums, if this song had been on the album, uh, it would have clocked the record in at over an hour, which was virtually unheard of in 1975, unless you were going to do a double album and he wasn't going to do a double album. But this, along with Shelter from the Storm and Buckets Array? Yeah. I mean, that would have been too much. And and I understand that this song does sound similar to Shelter from the Storm. But at the, and and so then you say, well, okay, how? Well, then would he ended the record with it? Well, then that means it would have gotten rid of buckets of rain. Well, then you would have had this song and buck this song and shelter on the same record. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, really. Buckets of rain gives the album a different, you know, like a sound quality. That song sounds so different than anything else, and I think that's what he was going for. And then maybe that's why up to me finally got nixed. But I cannot, as great as Blood on the Tracks is, and it is, it's it's still my favorite thing he's ever done. Ending the record with this verse would have just been like, yeah, like blowing the place up and then salting the earth behind you. 
kind of, you know, just like, okay, yeah, yeah. this is it, man. We're, you know, I'm sitting here in this lone room. I'm playing the harmonica for you. I'm playing the guitar. And just again, the way he sings, if we never meet again, baby, remember me. Just again, if we never uh, meet again, if we never, <laughs> right. He's not even sure that they're not going to meet again. You know, that's yeah. only a possibility, which I like too. Yeah. And it's so tender. It's the tenderest. Well, I mean, she's everything I need to love is pretty tender. Yeah. There are some tender lines, but this is so nakedly open and tender. You know, it's unusual and it's beautiful. And you're right. If this had ended blood on the tracks and if shelter from the storm was the famed bootleg, right? Yeah. Fuck, buckets of rain, you know, Oh, did these other ones, but I don't know. Then would he have played this on stage? Yeah. You've done a regular imagine, version of this at the Budokan, you know? Can you imagine the hard rain rock out version of this song? What was that? Right. What would that sound like? With that crazy guitar? Like what? Yeah. What was that? Right. Exactly. Like if he had, if the, if, if the record had ended with this, would we be going on and on about Shelter from the Storm? Is how could he have left that? And I think we would have because Bob fans are like that. We just yes. are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and they also, I love the, um, the reference to the old time melody, which I always feel like is a slight gig at himself for borrowing old melodies Constantly for his songs. Borrowing. Yes. You yep. know, borrowing yes. uh, my old time melody. This is an old time melody. This is nothing I came up with. This is, you know, not I'm in town or whatever. This is all, <laughs> this is old stuff that yeah. I'm borrowing from. Uh, I'm going to rework House Carpenter here and turn it into a different song. Uh, that's, but it also feels like a, it does feel like a step away from the from the personality stories that have been happening through the song. And yeah. now he's talking yep. to the fans directly, mm -hmm. right? Which is a bit of a shift. I oh, now he's talking to me, even though he's he's calling me baby. That's all right. He can call me whatever he wants. Uh yes, he has done this. And I do know it was up to him. He's the only guy who's been able to do this. He's the only guy who's been able to make this incredible album right that's it he doesn't often do that kind of thing does he reach out no reach a hand across to the fans yeah that's i mean a, a thank you for for listening to my stuff and yes I, I, yes you know. in some ways it is that and so it ends it it, in, it it is a kind of like well i was the only one that was ever going to be able to do this because i was the right guy in the right place at the right time with the yeah. right skills it was always going to be up to me and maybe you're going to stop listening to me. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe you're going to, maybe I'm done. Maybe as, as a cultural figure, I'm over the sixties. Or are maybe over. you're going to grow up out of me. You yeah. Know, you're find Duran Duran or whatever it is that's coming down the pipe. Kiss. Your kiss is kind of popular, is you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really could be as, as much yeah. as, as much as this song is so certainly about a relationship, that final verse does seem like it could be that as well. It could be saying to the audience, Hey, remember me, you know, my, remember my old, my lone car yeah. played sweet for you. Uh, you know, you're like, I did my best, but did my uh, best. I might not be able to withstand what's coming down the pipe, including kiss, which yeah. I will, I'm going to put on kiss makeup on my next tour, you know, just to see if. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. I mean yeah. you, you, nobody, he had to look around. Uh, he had to look yes. around at his, at his compatriots from that time and see how some of them didn't make it out. I mean, good Lord, Jimi Hendrix and Janis right. Joplin died within like two weeks of each other. And then well, Jim Morrison 74, died. 74, 75, right? So 
This is the Beatles in disarray. Yeah, the Beatles are gone. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, all of his compatriots are to one. Elvis is kind of going, you know, yeah. going away and not just yet, but but sort of. And yeah, he had to be looking around and sort of being like, well, geez. So maybe you know? that's a reason not to put on the record because wait a second. I'm not I'm not finished. I'm not finished yet. That's my bad Bob Dylan impression. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I'll put on this other one that is a, a little colder. And more distant, that sort of, ah, oh, life is sad, life is a bust, you know. Yeah. Uh, you do what you can. I did what I, you know, I'd do it for you. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Right. And hard to say, but yeah. that's possible. We might yeah. have, we might have cracked the code, man. There, we did it. We did it. This <laughs> is <laughs> a successful podcast. We have figured out Bob Dylan, everybody. You're all welcome. You're uh, all welcome. But yeah. So as you, as you, as everyone knows, live versions, big fat zero. This has never yeah. been played Again. live. That's uh, incredible to have written this song and recorded it again. All those versions that came out on uh, more blood, more tracks. Yeah. You know, he clearly worked on it, tried to get it right, put it out. Everybody, as far as I can tell, on Biograph, everyone said, "This is great." You know, wow, what a treat! Yep. yep. But never even once, you no. know, which suggests a problem in his mind with it, right? You know that. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't sing songs from Blood on the Tracks. You know, he doesn't sing too many of them, but yeah. he does sing them, especially Tangled Up in Blue. So, yeah, I mean, we have heard stories about that. The band will occasionally request songs. The band will, you know, when, they, yeah. when they're getting yeah, ready, yeah. the band will say, hey, Bob, what about? Let's do Up to Me, man. Yeah, let's do If Dogs Run Free. There's got to have been somebody because <laughs> obviously that worked. There has yeah. to have been somebody in the 30 years, 50, 50 years, 50 years. Time is a jet plane moves too fast. 50 mm. years since this song's recording, there had to have been somebody in his band, Garnier, Bucky Baxter, somebody who was like, Bob, can we try this? And he, you know, but nah, nah, nah. I'd rather do Joey, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do Joe, I'm going to rework Joey. Oh. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Bob. Yes. Joey, Silvio, and uh, 90 miles an hour down a dead end street. <laughs> Okay, you but, always have oh. to get in down in the groove, man. Every show, every time you appear, <laughs> you've got to get that in. It's like you're like, uh, it's like those Hirschfeld drawings where he with the Ninas, like how many Ninas he could fit in in a given drawing. It's like you, yes. how many down in the groove references is I'm Jason going to get of, into an episode? I'm, of. I'm tired of it being put down as the worst record of his <laughs> career. I don't think it's the best, you know, not by a long shot, but well, your first appearance as- was talking about a down in the groove so i think you've made your case for that record okay all right i think you've done i mean you want to come back and you'll do another you want to do all this girl in the world we'll do it man come on uh maybe not that one maybe silvio Silvio. Silvio? okay all right there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff on there there is there is true i straight up will say that there's also terrible stuff but there's some (laughs) there's some great stuff on there now again going back to down in the groove right now think about that he compiles that record (laughs) yes and some stuff is like, oh, I'm going to pull some stuff from some. Old. He pulls something from Infidels and shoves it onto Down in the Groove, but not. I mean, a biograph had come out, of course, by this point. But like, not yeah. something from Blood on the Tra- not one of the alternate takes from Blood on the Tracks, or so you know what I mean. Like, you know, that's what he decides to pull. But you know, yeah, to be sitting on all this stuff and go, sitting on up who to knows? Me. He just, I think he moves so fast that he's not thinking. You and I again, if we'd written up to me, we could. Hey, man. I'm the guy who wrote up to me. It Check would it open out. every concert and close every concert. And every podcast and every every conversation. Yeah. But 
I wrote up he's, to me. You know that. You know he 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 probably doesn't re- he barely remembers it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> did I write that? Did I do that? Oh yeah, yeah I did okay. I? That's pretty Thunderbird that's Cafe. Not, is that me? That's pretty good actually. Oh jeez. <laughs> oh my god. What was I? What was I thinking? Dupree. That's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so I'm glad this song got its due diligence on on more blood, more tracks. Again, I still think the Biograph version is the version. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think he just nails it the way that the other versions don't quite nail it but yeah, i'm glad that it got so much space on that set you and you and john glenn were talking about I, one of you says it how it starts off with no intro which yeah not, like idiot no wind song, he just jumps right but, into it yeah, yeah like idiot wind yeah but the other versions don't they have no right of, um a little bit of a storm type yep, intro yep, you know yeah a little jingle jangle and then it gets into yeah it's yeah it's i love jangle, that it starts yeah. with that just everything went from bad to work like boom you know, such a, right, such a right wonderful intro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, never change the thing. But again, that connects back to idiot win, doesn't it? That's the first thing that I think of, you know, I got a million yeah. bucks. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It's, there are uh, these weird little connections throughout the whole song to the other things back on the record. You know, if it had been included, uh, like in Tangled Up in Blue, headed for another joint, you know, now he's, you know, no one else could play that tune. It's, it's something from town to town, go from town to town. No, wait a second. That's in a different song. <laughs> Sorry about that. My notes are too scrambled. No, it's just, um, wait a minute. Bird on the fence in Big Girl. Yeah. The Big Girl now. There's the blue bird, of course. There's the money. There's the letters that we wrote in Idiot Wind and then the letter to Estelle, right? Yep. And the post office, I suppose. As the card game in Lily and the play your hands, boys. Yeah, play your hands. Like, um, guys playing cards. We know Bob love. We know love. Yeah. We know that Bob loves, loves to play cards. Yeah. And he likes the images of people playing cards. He no, it's, uh, yeah, this is the going from town to town. That's from, um, if you see her, say hello, mm-hmm. right? headed for another joint but yeah. shelter from the storm of course has the crown of thorns which is you know the sermon on the mount yep. that connects there you ain't gonna cross the line bound to cross the line it just seems he was you know the famous notebook right he was he was working with all these things and these images and these ideas yep. and they seem to have you know at least one uh ecstatic moment in up to me and then he says yeah maybe not maybe not <laughs> Maybe, Maybe not. Maybe not. For now. What a weirdo. He's such a weirdo. That's why he's great, you know. Like Yeah. I, I know you've talked about this on previous episodes, the songs that he decides not to include. You go, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And why don't you have people giving you better advice than the people you, you know, you have around you that let you make these decisions, you know? Well, does anybody, does, does anyone let him do anything at this point? Is it, what, what, what are you going to, what are you going to, who's going to overrule him? Who's going to, what, some some flunky at Columbia Records? Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? It's just like, what? I mean, I remember hearing those stories about the, the way he was. Jim Dickinson has that great interview that I refer to, like, every fifth episode where he says he hears people talk to Bob in a way that he's like, I wouldn't talk to him, you know, because you're like, it's Bob Dylan, you know, and they're talking yeah. about, like, you know, radio edits of Highlands and stuff. And it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Let the guy do what he, this is, you've got, uh, you've got Mozart here, you know, <laughs> like, just let him alone, yeah. let him do his thing, you but- know? But this is what they all sink into at some point, right? I've read enough things about McCartney when somebody says, eh, maybe you should work on the lyrics here, Paul. These are, <laughs> these are sort of trite. 
And his <laughs> apparently his answer is, how many number ones have you written? <laughs> I'm you know, quite literally and, sitting on a pile of money right now. So what and you... engineer number two says, uh, right. Okay, yeah. No, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. But it's, you know, they've all sort of, all of those top guys have swerved into, you know, lousy territory at one point or another, probably because there wasn't anybody there to tell them, Jesus, man. Like, like I know you've talked about this again a lot. His brother Bob, I just don't think. Oh, can you imagine these New York mm. tracks? And he listened to him. Though. He listened to him, and his brother was right, and it resulted <sighs> in the masterpiece. You know, wasn't there anybody around during the knocked out load? Like, where was his brother during knocked out loaded? <laughs> Bob, maybe, maybe rethink this. You know, I don't know. <laughs> a children's choir? Really? Is yes. that what we want on this? <laughs> yes, what I want. That, it cripples the whole thing early on, doesn't it? Yeah. But, uh, so okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> let's let's end this on a more positive note. Yeah, it's sure, it's, it's an absolute stone cold masterpiece, and yes. it's the kind of thing where you say, "How could you leave this song off? How could you leave a song of this quality off of a record?" But then you listen to the record and you say, "Yeah, but where does it go? Yeah. Where does it go?" Uh, I will say that when I have made Blood on the Tracks playlists in like Apple Music or whatever, I shove this in there. I I slot it. This is heresy, but I slot it between Meet Me in the Morning and Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, which just doesn't it doesn't really work there. But I just want it in there because it's so yeah. good. Yeah. It's just so good. I can't. And but I ain't gonna. I'm not gonna delete a song. No way. No way. So right. you know, I'm glad it's got its outing because it said it is an absolute. Just stone cold. Yeah. And we can listen to it whenever we want, you know, in yep. whatever version yep. we like now. And that's Absolutely. that's all right. Yep. Yes. So now normally this is where I would end the show, but I've been you've been on the show so many times before that I I've been, I've asked you already the same question. So I don't have any question. I don't have any exit interview question to ask. I can I gotta come up with a new one for repeat guests. So I will just end this with uh why don't you tell people about your podcast you had it you had it since the last time you were on you had it last time but this is kind of a crossover weekend because i believe my appearance on your show yes has just come when people are listening to this has just come out the day before i believe so we're we're back to backing here in pod the podcast sphere such synergy yeah <laughs> exactly no uh the podcast is called writers read their early shit and it's uh writers but also other creative types sort of dipping back into their early efforts and uh sometimes it's embarrassing and sometimes it's well like it's my like my appearance my appearance embarrassing very embarrassing no but it was a uh, spectacular <laughs> season 2 opener featuring Rob Kelly no it was great and we you know we we didn't talk too much about early shit no, because I'm not a writer. Uh, you have you have genuine writers on that show, and I'm not a writer. I do write, but I don't consider myself yeah. a writer. So but we had a really groovy chat, and it's a great episode. And uh, I hope people will check it out. And I meant to tell you, man, today or actually last night. I okay. I have a question, and then a a long boring story. <laughs> the question is: Do you ever do you ever wake up at three o'clock in the morning and think? Okay, I can either lie here for an hour trying to get back to sleep, or I can get up and do something, or maybe read for a while. Does that all the time? Okay, all right. 
Me too. Recently. This is a fairly recent phenomenon. It's, I guess it comes with our advanced age and I guess it's up to us, man. But yeah, recently <laughs> I've been waking up at two, two thirty-three and go to the washroom and then come back and go, I'm not going to get back to sleep. So mm-hmm. I'll read for a while, about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And then wow. I'll fall back asleep. Anyway, this happened last night and I was reading, um, you know, Gay Talese. Have you ever read him? I have not. Non fiction writer. I'm anyway, familiar with him, but I've never read him, no. Yeah. He's got a very famous sort of it's a masterclass in creative nonfiction, this 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 thing he wrote about Sinatra. Uh and it's called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. And it's a it's a beautifully constructed piece, but it's it's it starts off in this sort of private club and it's in this bar with a pool room and Sinatra's got a cold and he's pissed off about that and everyone's kind of hovering around him. And he walks into the where guys are shooting pool and he sees a young guy, a writer there, who is not in suit and tie. He's wearing these desert boots, right? And this irritates Sinatra. So he starts going, why are you wearing those? You expecting a flood? And the guy says, it's just my boots, man. And Sinatra goes, yeah, but why are you wearing them? Hey, man, why are you asking me about my clothes? You know, it just goes back and forth. And this kind of everybody goes silent because Sinatra is clearly pissed off at this junior writer right with his stupid boots the guy with the boots is your nemesis the guy who gave you shit for buttering a roll the wrong way what yes oh (laughs) so at 3 a.m i was quite rob kelly there we go oh can't wait to talk to him in whatever 15 hours or whatever it was yeah that's a, uh, Ellison, right? Harlan Ellison, yeah. Harlan Ellison, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So just it's just, if you can track that essay down, I think you can find it online. It's just called uh, Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. That and there's just this amazing. great confrontation in this Beverly Hills club. Yeah, check it out. That that does sound absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, yes, we had an absolutely marvelous conversation. I love your show. Uh, it's It's full of insights from people that I just find – you know, like a lot of poets and, and people of, of genuine, you know, literary credentials. And there have been almost in every episode, there's one like line or phrase that someone will say. And I just shake my head at the sort of, you know, truth to it. And and I've said this to you. I'll say this on air because I, I always want to repeat it. one of my favorite lines is you had. I don't remember her name, but Sarah Chang, Sarah Chang, or it was Sarah Chang. OK, where she talks about being going to school as a child and she said uh that we were we we uh we were atheists but we ended up going to catholic school because of the busing yeah <laughs> i just i think that's one of the best things i've ever heard somebody say about the way we just sort of fudge things to get yeah. by in life <laughs> we think we're being so true to our <laughs> yes but because of bus routes we're gonna send some atheist kids to catholic school like okay I guess we'll yeah. just have to paper this together. So, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an absolutely marvelous show. I think anyone listening to this would enjoy it. So go check out writers read their early shit, not just because I'm on it. Uh, and I, although I do, I took the bit in my teeth and I embarrassed myself and I admitted to some horrible writing that I did. So, you know, I, I, I took the show seriously, Jason. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, yes, I didn't, did. didn't hide behind the shades, man. I came right out and I, I revealed some of the horrible, horrible, you words that it was I have up written to you, Matt. Yeah, it no, was it was up to, great. It's always up to me. It was terrific, and 
I meant to tell you, I did an interview last week with one of my professors from uh, UBC, and I committed the, the great amateur mistake. 40 minutes into the talk, I realized I hadn't pressed record. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh. That's, oh. to her credit, oh, you know, I said, what worst. do you want to do? you want to do this? Yo, it, just the way she said, oh, Jason. Right? Oh, oh, no, no. It was, it was humiliating and oh. mortifying. Oh, but no. she was very patient and she said, okay, let's go again right now. Let's do it. And oh, I, I wow. Okay. Yes. So oh. I was lucky. She was very patient and generous. But that's a mistake you only make once, right? You it know? is. That is brutal. I think that's what I did with John for yes. our Up To Me yes. episode. Yes. I think I did that. I think we recorded like a half only hour connect. and I was like, oh, crap and then we just he thankfully redid it but yeah yeah that is that is heartbreaking when you do it's that. the worst isn't it's it so that stupid i know yeah. absolute absolute worst <laughs> yeah I, I i i will tell you like when i record i record the show on on zoom and they gives you a little prompt that says recording up in the upper mm. left hand side of the screen while it's recording i always have that prompt visible while i am recording even yeah. though i have other windows open I always have the windows move down enough that the word recording is always uh, visible to me while I'm recording, just in case, because yes. of, because of that thing. So it's always, always like, oh, yeah, we're still recording. So we're good. So, uh, well, anyway, one final thing as uh, this show hasn't gone on long enough. You mentioned, uh, publishing a book of the letters that you yeah. want, that you've done. You send me these marvelous postcards from Japan. They arrive every so often. My old eyes, it's hard for me to read them because you have very, very, <laughs> thin uh handwriting and then you use a very light pen and you mm. cram a lot of words into that little tiny little space but i do read them and sometimes uh, kelly reads them for me because i'm old um but they are always a wonderful surprise in my mailbox and someday i will publish a book of your postcards that you send me i don't know we'll have to take okay. out certain details but uh, i will because they are they are I'm just too lazy to send you postcards. Plus it's New Jersey who gives a shit, but uh, you know, I, I always appreciate when they arrive. And so, and they are all on our fridge. They are, they are uh, pinned, uh, uh, clothes pinned with a magnet to our refrigerator. And the stack is quite thick at this point. So uh, I'm, I'm always happy to get them, but someday we'll do the postcards. Oh, that's great, man. I'm yeah. glad you appreciate them. Oh, I'll, Absolutely. I'm write them. it couple more tonight there we go excellent okay so uh, of course uh, everybody if you want to find back episodes of the show go to our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show in any podcatcher of your choice you can buy the pod dylan the new pod dylan jukebox t-shirt over on my etsy page which is rob kelly creative again the link is in the show notes i really would appreciate that and if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Networks, go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast, like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Waki Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. Thanks so much for the support, everybody. So that is going to do it. Jason, once again, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. And I can't wait to have you back. Maybe we'll talk about Silvio. Who knows? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But until then, uh, we will see you all later. Bye. I get phone calls every day. Reviewers want to hear it. And certain retail accounts where the, uh, the clerks are aware that it's going on have called. It's just been coming everywhere. There's a great deal of anticipation and a great deal of excitement about this new Blood on the Tracks album.